for me, I didn't have anything left because when I got pushed out of my job after raising some concerns about the behavior that I was witnessing, I found myself out of a job, which was stunning, but not surprising when you think about culture. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. You've got with you today the Knucklehead Steven. And today we're coming at you fresh. It's 2020. And when I say fresh in 2020, uh, given today's topic and given today's uh, guest, we're, we're not talking about anything other than it's just a fresh new year. Okay. So Pete Havel, the author of the book, The Arsonist in the Office. And if you know what an arsonist is, it should get your nervous system activated. It's it's scary to think about somebody who it's the rocks off starting fires could be working just right across the cubicle from you. It's it's so bizarre. And I'm reading this book right now. I can't. I, I'm going to shut up and I want to let Pete introduce himself and I want to welcome to the show. But I can't wait to get into today's topic. So for those of you who are listening, and if you're watching on video, go ahead and go back over to uh, the podcast directory and iTunes or Spotify and hit subscribe and leave a review. Pete will let you know how you can get in touch with this book. But Pete, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited that, you, uh, that you're carving out some time for us. I, I honestly don't know how you can trust people again after working. I've only read five of the, what, what is it, 20 chapters or so in this book. And I'm like, I, can't even, I couldn't even put it down for the first five chapters. I, I, I was telling my wife about it. My mind is blown about the potential ramifications of somebody like this being in your office and I guess before we jump into the story, tell people a little bit about you, where you're from, and how you got your start before we jump into this, this incredibly provocative title. <laughs> I uh, grew up in Boston and uh, spent about the last half of my life in Texas. Uh, Texas brought, uh, college brought me down to, uh, to Baylor University. And uh, after getting out of there, I, I got involved in politics real heavy. So spent a State lot of time. politics or national politics? Uh, state and national, a lot on the national level, done some consulting for Senate campaigns, presidential campaigns, you name it, and then got involved. And this is where I'd probably lose about half of your audience. I was a, a lobbyist for a good chunk of my career as well. So uh, helping various parts of the business community uh, get their needs met in, uh, in Washington and capitals around the country. So when folks go to Washington, D.C. and they know anything about K Street, is that is that kind of right up your alley? Is that is that what we're talking about? Is that right where you used to live? Well, <laughs> the same uh, same type of techniques, but uh, I never had as fancy as shoes or or suits. I, I've been based down here for uh, uh, for a couple decades now. So um, yeah, the same type of thing. I mean, everybody, no matter whether you're a small business person, I worked for the small business lobbying group for a long time. It's issues of you know, kind of collecting um, your voices as. Uh, you know, plumbers, caterers, you, you name it. They, if they have issues, better than having all of them get out of their jobs for day after day to address it, have somebody like me help uh, tell their story. Yeah, I understand the thought process uh, behind that. In, in a way, it's, it's a, like it's a, a little akin to working with an agency, right? Uh, you're a subject matter expert in whatever it is that you do. Why wouldn't you work with a, an agency to help you meet another need, right? Broaden your, re- broaden your reach, so to speak. You got um, it. So the idea behind um, 
the book obviously came from some of the experiences that you had had uh, at, at a previous uh, employer of yours. So I don't want to, you know, have you go through the incrimination process. The, the title in the book kind of tell the story enough in itself. However, I, I want to lay the groundwork here with, with folks that are listening, that Knucklehead is based on a foundation of sharing what you've screwed up. Right. It's in today's society and social media and, and quite frankly, in, in, in politics and uh, in some of these kind of existing established businesses, what ends up happening is, is there's this rush uh, to give answers to, uh, to problems or, or even even in preventative maintenance. Just before there's a problem, you, you try to lay the lay the groundwork on uh, alleviating problems before you before you experience them. So therefore, it's not very advantageous to share what you screwed up, sharing the mistakes, sharing the, the failures. But quite frankly, those, those are the experiences and how people react in the moment that actually lead to the successes that we're all chasing, right? And, and, um, and that's the whole point of Knucklehead, right? And it, it's in the title. Knucklehead Podcast is exactly where we, we give folks an opportunity to share what they've screwed up or maybe some, some, some things that they were exposed to. Uh, that gave them an opportunity to really experience the pain of um, and kind of the gut wrenching, you know, problems that that happen as a result of failure or mistakes. Right. But then the subsequent success that follows if they keep the course or they make the necessary adjustments if they go seek counsel or or go review it. And so I'm I'm interested, um, you know, with your experiences just because the book really, I mean, there, there's a lot of them. Uh, you know, one of them in particular that stood out to me just for me to you is how did you not uncover the fact that there was somebody there that could could potentially like make your life a living hell prior to you accepting the role? I mean, I would imagine that, you know, some of your vetting process and and maybe this, maybe this is just something that that was revealed to you in the back end, but maybe some, some previous worker or some due diligence on your part. Was there somebody that gave you a heads up at all? Or was this, you were just coming in blind and this coworker of yours was just like a major life of living hell for the most part it was uh it, it was going in blind they had wow. had indicated that there were and the whole premise of my book is me going in into a into a job and finding myself with the mother of all toxic workplaces that started with horrible leadership that allowed for bad behavior so i took this job and they were dancing around a problem and here's where my bad judgment starts coming in. Uh, they were saying, you know, you're going to have some challenges here. I ask about them and they give me kind of soft shoe type of answers, you know, just kind of brushing it off. Everybody's got challenges, Pete. This job isn't going to be any different than any other. And it was not until, well, about 24 to 36 hours in when I get told the whole story that they had a essentially a live grenade within their within their workforce. And it was the toxic employee who had filed literally dozens of complaints against people throughout the organization, had been involved in, in sabotage of work, had gone after even my own supervisor, had, uh, had th- made all sorts of threats against people in the company. And they had made the calculation that better to keep this person happy than to put them on the outside and have them firing at people uh, in the organization from the outside as a former employee. Well, when you think about that, I mean, there's there's a level of analysis that's that's needed in order to make that that type of judgment call, right? And so you yeah. have to go you have to go through that, saying, "All right, here's what's going to cost us in PR. Here's what's going to cost us in potential lawsuits. Here's what's going to cost." And and that level of analysis had to have been done at least not just. 
uh, in a silo. It had to have been discussed with a, at least a few folks. So given the fact that they decided to make you privy to the situation 48 hours into your tenure there, like, <laughs> at what point did you say, oh, shoot, how, how, can I backpedal out of this? Or did you have other prospects? Like, did you have other job opportunities out there? Or were you kind of like, you know what, this is the best one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make applesauce out of apples and we're going to make this work. Yeah. And, and in my situation, being a bit of a niche um, type of job, and they, you know, not, not every organization has, has a lobbyist. Um, and certainly in where I'm based in Dallas, Texas, not every company uh, needs somebody down in Austin or needs somebody in, uh, in Washington, D.C. So um, they had they told me to essentially uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. We've got your back. Good luck to you. Things, things are probably going to be fine. And I've been through a heck of a lot in my career in terms of dealing with, with different personalities. I mean, some of the people you see on TV, where, on, on the news where you, uh, where you would say, oh my gosh, I would not want to be in the same room with that person. I probably cut deals with some of those people in the past in terms of negotiating. So I was pretty confident. I had uh, usually succeeded in dealing with a lot of really tough to get along with people. But I had never found myself, and this is where uh, I guess the the beginning of my path of errors began. I hadn't found myself in a culture that essentially was anything goes, where mm. virtually everyone was compromised. And certainly people are compromised in their ethics in politics, but um, on, a, on a day-to-day basis inside a, uh, an organizational structure this thing was broken beyond belief. And that's frankly what I didn't understand. And that path of a need for self-preservation topping all other goals. Normally in previous jobs, I had had a, maybe a CEO at the top that would say, you know what, we're going to protect our clients no matter what, because that's that's where uh, where my reputation comes from. That is where our bonuses at your your end are going to come from. Here, it was essentially survival as the uh, as the bottom level, and you had lots of people that were terrified of who they had within the organization. And frankly, I didn't see that one coming. Have you ever asked yourself why you haven't started a podcast? Well, I already know the reason. So do you. You don't feel like you're tech savvy. You don't feel like you got your message wired tight. And quite frankly, it's just, it's all this mystification going on. Quite frankly, uh, our process helps to demystify that. We're push button for podcasts. We're knucklehead. Why knucklehead? Well, we lead with the fact that you don't know what you're doing. We do. We've been there. We've actually been in your shoes. We take your spoken voice. We literally give a human voice to your website. You want to bring dead leads to life? Well, then you need to talk to knucklehead. Essentially, what we're going to do is we're going to take you through our process and we're going to help take your human voice and increase the process for you going from dead leads to life. How do I how do I do that? Well, you essentially just take your human voice, put it in a directory and let people consume more of you. Give your audience the ability to Netflix on you. They want to binge watch you. They want to binge listen. Give them the ability to take your voice along on that commute with them. So. You can get in touch with us, Stephen at Knucklehead Podcasts, or if you've got a really cool story, stories at Knucklehead Podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn and on Facebook at Knucklehead Promotions, LLC. And get in touch with us. Don't be a beta about the process. Don't let the fact that you don't know prevent you from getting some wins. So don't be a beta, get some wins, and contact us today. See you. 
it's interesting. You said a couple things that remind me of a client of mine and a good friend, a quasi mentor. He says that sometimes as leaders, what, what ends up happening is, is we, we get dogmatic or we get essentially married or committed to the process just for the sake of the process, as opposed to being committed to the process and looking up and evaluating what's going on around you and paying attention to the people, paying attention to the results of the process and the people as they're going through the work. And it sounds as if there was a failure, you called it a failure of leadership. And I, I tend to agree with that uh, assessment just because at this point, you would think that um, there would at least be safeguards in place to protect not necessarily just new employees coming in, but how do you effectively manage with somebody like that that's trying to what I call a free radical in life, how is that safe? Or how does that create a culture that's, uh, you know, that creates a thriving and, and consistent and, and holistic culture? And I, I really like the way that you broke it down in your book. You talked about uh, these are the characteristics of a toxic culture. These are the, these are the, essentially the, the, uh, the steps uh, that you need to follow if, in fact, there are symptoms um, that were similar to what you experienced, mm -hmm. as opposed to just ranting and raving about, you know, your experience, you actually gave some tangible practical application tools that people can use. And that's something I appreciated and noticed earlier in the book. Yeah, it was, it was really fascinating to me. And it really should have been no surprise as I look back, especially at that leadership component. If you don't have other drivers in place, self-preservation is going to be the one that drives people more than anything. And every step of the way, as I described, and you haven't hit the most disturbing ones further along in the book of things that I ran into, but I had people time after, after time in leadership coming to me talking about, hey, Pete, I can't touch this, this issue that you've run into because I'm only X number of years before my retirement, retirement program kicks in. And this is, don't come to me with this because this could get in the way of, of, of hitting nirvana. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. It's interesting. So we're talking around a topic. And again, I'm five chapters into something that was very, very personal to you that you decided to, uh, to write in terms of an experience and, and give folks out there uh, who have the opportunity to go to, uh, to your website and get the arsonist at the office and talk um, and, and read the book and experience probably some, they could bounce it off some of their own experiences. But we're talking around a topic. And that is this culture in corporate America, or this culture in business that exists where men potentially can objectify women in some cases, and women can objectify or, or exploit the opportunity that men get put in whenever you have those two working together in a work environment where you're trying to accomplish business objectives, you're trying to hit essentially the, the milestones in place and you're measured quarterly, and, and you're trying to produce results that impact the economy and what a byproduct of getting those two genders together is, well, holy crap, you've got, you've got uh, attraction, you've got tension, you've got a lot of idiosyncrasies associated or characteristics associated with that environment where now all of a sudden people can, if they're an opportunist, they can exploit both sides uh, against each other. And it's, exactly. it's, it's, it's scary to your point, uh, I think that military, we call this the strategic corporal, where generals and, and colonels who have decades worth of work riding on the inexperience of somebody who's got two years or so uh, of a vested interest in that organization, that mistake ended up costing somebody a career. And that's a very dicey situation for folks to find themselves in, especially when they're just trying to hit business goals or hit profitability uh, objectives if you're in sales. You know what I'm saying? So it's a very difficult thing to do and a difficult balancing act 
it, it makes my stomach turn when I started reading it. I couldn't believe what I was reading. Hazel, the, the character in here, showed up at a meeting of yours on the other side of the country. And again, I haven't gotten to some of the other things, but that in itself is just like a head scratcher. It's bizarre behavior. Absolutely. But when you go down the route in terms of uh, the people that were trying to manage her, manage around her, pretty much anything goes if it's not, uh, if it's not affecting them. You let one thing go, you're going to let probably let some other things go because you don't have those guardrails in place. Driving gets a little bit crazy. So let me ask you a question then. What would you say has been some of your biggest learning experiences after writing the book? <laughs> after writing the book. Okay. Let me go back before that and then I'll answer the question. I spent so much time in politics that uh, I, I turned questions around a little bit. So uh, get me back in line if, if I go too far off. You're fine. The, um, the thing that uh, was really frustrating for a few years before I wrote the book, came out last April, it is really hard to find a new opportunity when you can't explain why you left your last one. And for me, uh, as people get, get into the book, like you say, they're, they're going to see some bizarre behavior. Um, sadly, you get attached to it. If you, if in an interview setting, you've got to explain, you know, in my, in my case, if I talked about anything of my experience in that, in that previous position, I'd be lighting people's hair on fire as they're, as they're hearing about this. And, and I could just imagine the, the people in HR making notes with the, with the, the red pens and your thanks, but no thanks. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll call you at some point. For me, at the very least, um, in writing this book, and some amazing things are happening, I'll tell you a little bit about them um, soon, but the freedom to get out here and have this conversation, the ability to kind of move beyond that. I can now talk to CEOs about how to reshape their, their companies um, and their cultures. For me, it's been a phenomenal experience. So the learning for me has really been to quit worrying about thinking that everybody's looking at this spot on my resume and more talking about who I am as, as a person, call that a confidence thing or call that spinning. Either one has worked for me in, in terms of that, that conversation. Well, you have a choice to how, how you look at it, right? I mean, That's right. You, can't, you, can't, you can't rewrite the past, but what you can do is you can choose to look at it the way that you've decided to look at it. And that is rather than be self-conscious of the, the gap or so that, that exists in the resume, you can, talk, you can talk through it. I mean, you've, you've productized the problem in a way that actually becomes a solution uh, to a lot of people who are willing to embrace the fact that there is a problem. Yeah. And, There's and a problem. anybody that, um, that does that, and certainly you want to be careful in, uh, in how you do those things. I don't know many people that regret having helped others. And it is wild. Some of the emails, direct messages I get from people literally all around the world that are saying, first, dude, how are you able to write this? Because I'd never be able to write this book in terms of, you know, the, the fear factor. What are people going to say in the future? For me, I didn't have anything left because when I got, got pushed out of my job after raising some concerns about the behavior that, uh, that I was witnessing, I found myself out of a job, which, which was stunning, but not surprising when you think about culture. But for me, I was in a position of, you know, I'm going to take this opportunity to, to help some people and I'm going to see what happens.
So for, for me, it's been, it's been phenomenal. I keep on seeing the results. Well, let me ask you this then. So what, when, when you started this role, uh, again, April of, uh, 2019 is when is when the book was released, right? So it's been about a year or so, and it, it with sales cycles and everything else that uh, that happens whenever you're you're doing sales, it takes there's a sales cycle that uh, that can be exist in terms of folks being able to align their budget with what you have to bring to the table, and mm-hmm. obviously the the workshops and and the opportunity to have these types of conversations with CEOs, uh, it is a very big problem that you have some very tangible real life ex- experiences and also some, some systems and processes to prevent this from happening again, if somebody were to, to bring you on board for, you know, just for, for instance, but prior to you even deciding to write it, how, like walk me through a little bit of what your family life was like, what your thought process was like as you're kind of reliving them, those experiences and writing them down. How, how did you stay sane, honestly? Yeah. And in these, uh, you know, what you describe that, uh, well, during the job that, that I describe and, and post that, there was definitely a lot of stress. And of course that was amplified in a huge way when, uh, when you're, when you find yourself out of a job, um, my faith sustains me and, uh, I, I, I had to, had to pray a lot because you find yourself in this situation wondering why the heck am I here? Uh, I had a, had a good career, a stable career, and here I am on the outside looking in. People don't return your calls at at some point. You know, you kind of go through that process of finding out who your friends are, and you realize you've got fewer of them, but you've got the your, the concentration of great friends is um, is stronger than ever. So that's so that's a good thing. Um, with family, you know, you are you're fighting through it as a uh, as a group maybe going for the steak dinners a whole lot uh, less, but um, they were, they were real supportive um, through this, even though I don't think there's ever a moment where, uh, you know, somebody comes to you and says, you know what I'm going to do to turn things around? I'm going to write a book and they're going to look at you. They're going to pat you on the shoulder, wish you well, walk away and probably roll their eyes and uh, be like, Okay, what's going on with Havel, and what is this this book he was uh, talking about? And um, as I was writing this thing, I wanted to have a few things very clear. One, I wasn't going to do a tell-all. I told the story, but certainly didn't uh, didn't talk about the company. And I think that was what people saw coming—a a train wreck in the media or something like that. But um, the other thing I didn't want—I've got. I think a pretty good sense of humor about all of it and that uh, life happens, things go wheels off at times and you got to deal with it. I wanted this book to be something people wanted to get to the end of and not, oh my gosh, I'm watching this guy's career, you know, blow up in front of me. Well, you get that out of the book, but I think we, we succeeded uh, in terms of making it a pretty fun read. You want to learn stuff, but you're, um, you're laughing as you read about my demise. But the other thing about it, when so many people talk about the culture of organizations, I know when I hear some of my peers talk about it in the culture space, there's a lot of touchy feely type of stuff, a lot of buzzwords. And I am not a buzzword guy. Uh, and what I wanted was something that uh, was well written, but had a gut level type of feel to it, where 
people understand things. I mean, I throw in references to some of my favorite TV shows to explain things, a lot of sports references. I wanted it to feel like um, something I'd want to read. So that's what we got done. And uh, having an absolute blast with it. So the, first of all, all of those, all of those um, uh, observations that you're, you know, that you're using to describe the book, I mean, you're emotionally connected to the story, right? But it also, you can also glean a lot from either somebody or something, um, not with necessarily what's what's being said, but also what the restraint, right? What what is not being said, or or what have you decided that 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 speaks a lot to your your character, your the ethics, your judgment, your decision making, and also what you the deliberate process that you went to to extract some value from from your experiences. Um, what did you learn going forward? I think is is, is what some folks would would. Uh, uh, would classify that as, and I've seen I've seen the same thing with HR. I actually have some some folks who are, you know, they're in the 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 talent industry, right? And when I say the talent industry, I'm talking about uh, talent acquisition, talent retainment, uh, global workforce plan, you name it. And they're they're talking they talk a lot about how the characteristics and makeup of an individual who's out there on the forefront in, in sales or mm-hmm. executive level management or in you know strategic planning, for instance that's not necessarily the same makeup of folks that are, you know, responsible for onboarding or training or maybe even HR in general. So it's like oil and water in some cases when you got two different types of folks trying to get to the same objective. And that's kind of what politics is, or that's kind of what the business world is in some cases. And you, you're, you're kind of neck deep in both of them now. So I'm curious. I mean, is this has this been able to lead to to opportunities that you see that are that are bigger and better than what you even envisioned, or is this something that you feel as if is going to be uh, maybe step one in a multi book process that you're going to have to go through? It, it is definitely a multi book process because I'm on working through two and three right now. As I got going on this book, I certainly had a particular thing in mind that I wanted to hit, which was just essentially how bad it can be, but how great a company can become if they do the right things. The opportunities that are coming up, frankly, have been amazing in that uh, over the next few months, I'm going to be speaking at, uh, it's an international group of, of culture experts, 20 different people and me um, are going to be there talking through that, which is still, frankly, somewhat amusing to me because I don't consider myself an expert on matters, but when you put your neck out there and you put your ideas together, the market judges whether whether you're an expert in an area. So, yeah. I guess it's uh, it's judging me to have some uh, some authority on that subject now. Um, but I'm really finding there's some organizations out there that need my message. Those companies, because you have some companies that frankly don't want to say that anything's wrong, and they're going to find a need for for help at some point. But the ones that know that they have problems, or maybe they have history of, uh, of, of issues. You see it in, in various government areas. You see it in certain types of industries that are constantly in the news for some sort of bad behavior, whether it's embezzlement or Me Too or the, these other types of things that have popped up in recent years or have been there forever. Those types of industries are finding my message interesting, which is essentially, look, this isn't rocket science. If you want to get rid of bad behavior in the workplace, you need to decide what you believe and you need to measure people and their behavior against it. It's not that hard, but 
it's it's pretty darn hard if you uh, if you turn a blind eye to everything that's happening around you. One hundred percent. Yeah. What is it? I, I'm going to screw up this 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 quote. What is it? That he who doesn't believe in anything falls for anything. There you Never go. Falls that's for it. yeah, something like that. All right. So again, knuckle dragger. You know, marine right here. Just beat my head up against the wall. So it's not like I'm Nostradamus or anything like that. So the idea behind the simplicity of that message is. Quite frankly, if people want to, if they want practical application, they can go back through and they can read your book. They know how to get in touch with you. Tell people real quick, how can people get in touch with, with you? I mean, if, if I am one of those folks that you just talked about and I, I'm just searching for answers, I'm not going to go to Google or maybe I do go to Google, but I'm not going to get the, the answers that I'm looking for. So how can people, if they're listening to this, find you and go, you know what? He has what I need. Yeah, absolutely. They can uh, they can call me directly at eight five five no arson, so N O A R S O N. That's that's one way to get a hold of me. They want to email me Pete at PeteHavel dot com, so first and last name dot com, and then uh, they they can find out more about me on my website uh, PeteHavel dot com as well. Is there is there any particular social media channel that you feel like lends itself to your message as opposed to just you that you feel like people can go get brushed up on? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm on, uh, I'm on LinkedIn constantly posting on there various things out of the news, you know, thoughts of the, of the day of whatever crisis is going on in the business world or, or elsewhere. Plenty to choose from. Yeah. Very cool. Well, he just told you how to get in touch with him folks. So, you know, if you're listening and you've been listening to Knucklehead podcast for some time, you understand that, you know, we started this process whenever I went through a uh, a run-in with HR. That run-in with HR, I've talked with multiple CEOs. I've talked with multiple, essentially, C-suite folks that ran into similar situations that I ran into. And, I, and I'm talking about even folks in HR. And it wasn't necessarily a unique situation to me. I think that everybody in some way, shape, or form has the same sentiment about being watched or being kind of the, the, the walls closing in, so to speak, whenever it comes to HR. They're well-intended in what they're, in what they're looking to, uh, to accomplish. But Sometimes in actuality and execution, it ends up leaving you with a little bit of a, you know, just a sour taste in your mouth. So you got to go through a, a palate cleansing exercise. And sometimes that's, you know, starting a podcast, getting a message out there to talk about how mistakes can actually help you lead to success. And some of it's writing a book. Some of it's actually working through the process and helping those people who are in similar situations work through the problems that they're going to work through. We don't know what it is for you, but what we do know is I've kind of been there, done that when it comes to that, the pressure of working in type inside of an organization that is toxic and helping turn around organizations and also turn around folks that are a byproduct of, of that scenario, trying to help people uh, get through life uh, after having come through a, a similar situation to what Pete's describing here. So my encouragement to you is to not hesitate, just connect with them. All it is, is a message. And then also on top of that, why not have a conversation uh, with some of those folks who are around you and see if any of the stuff that we talked about today is applicable to you. And if it is, cool, hit subscribe. I, I, we'd, love to, we'd love to hear you uh, give us some feedback on what you learned on this show. Get in touch with Pete. You know, Call the number that he's talking about, but also connect with him on some of those social media channels. So Pete, um, I appreciate you taking some time. Is there anything else that you feel uh, would be good to leave these folks with? I, th I think the most most important thing at any time when you're when you're facing a, a tough situation is um, seek counsel, good friends. Have a kitchen cabinet around you. Nobody thinks great under pressure by themselves. 
And if you find yourself in a bad situation, talk to people because uh, your advice is never going to be as good as the collective advice of uh, people around you. And that's one big thing I learned. Lots of others, but uh, that's a huge one. Be, Be smart and use all your resources. There you go. Be smart and use all your resources. I've heard it said that it's not a lack of resources. It's a lack of resourcefulness. So learn to be resourcefulness and get other perspective. That's what, that's what I'm hearing from Pete. So that's, that's fantastic. We appreciate you. For those of you who are out there, we got Knucklehead Podcast coming at you every Tuesday with a new episode. 40 out of the 52 weeks of 2019, there was new episodes. So if you're going to be holding me accountable for, uh, for missing it, yep, 12 out of the last 52 weeks, we missed it. But every Tuesday, we strive to hit you with new content. We're striving for consistency all the time. So if you felt like we deserved a subscribe, fantastic. We'd love to hear a review. Leave us a review. Let us know uh, what you think of these shows. And then also come back to uh, to Pete's point about, you know, if you're going through something right now, just knowing that friction and that adversity, there's, there's a seed of something very, very good that's going to happen to you or your organization as a result of going through that. Nothing ever bad happens where something good can't come from it. It's just a matter of, is it in balance? It's just a matter of time for that good to come out. So we call that process, go out and get some wins. So go find whatever the good thing is and the bad what's going on. But you can't be a beta about the process. It actually forces you to have to go back and evaluate or go get to Pete's point, go seek counsel and go get somebody else's opinion about the subject. So Pete, we appreciate you. That's all the time that we have today. We will talk to you soon. Appreciate you guys. Thank you.